Hi, everybody. David Noor. I want to welcome you back to another episode of Curvebenders Live. I'm elated you're here, and I'm excited to share with you uh, the next step in this series I started several weeks ago. So uh, for our audience, we're live on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. I would encourage you to jump in with your questions, comments, uh, insights, anything you want me to clarify. And for those that have not may have watched the previous episodes, I started the series uh, in one of the topics that seemed to really come up in uh, often in my most recent book, uh, Curvebenders. It's the one uh, back there in blue. And which is, uh, if curve benders are these relationships that leave an indelible imprint on not just what we accomplish, but who we become, where do you meet these magical, mystical creatures, right? Who are they? Where are they? How do I find them? How do I meet one? And, you know, again, in the Matrix movie vernacular, I don't have a blue or red pill. And you cannot, in my experience rush relationships. They take time, they take nurturing, they take uh, a regular cadence of interactions, of uh, buy and buy in into the value that that is reciprocal, hopefully. Uh, So curve benders are these incredible relationships that come into our lives, sometimes serendipitously, I hope, and and I try to coach people, if you become more intentional, about the relationships you choose to invest in, if you choose to nurture those consistently over some period of time, you dramatically, if not exponentially, increase opportunities to meet these individuals. I've identified in in, uh, chapter three of the book, uh, seven steps of, and chapter three is accelerated relevancy. So seven steps I've identified as your best path to get there. And, and if you've got the book, or if you're following us, uh, you know, it starts uh, on, um, on page 92 of the book. There's a, a great image that talks about each of the steps and the seven paths to meeting potential curve benders. So in the previous episodes, and you're welcome to go back and watch them or listen to the curve benders podcast. Step one was personal foundation. Do you have a growth mindset? Do you have a digital mindset? Do you have an entrepreneurial mindset? to kind of begin this journey. Two was professional commitment, exceeding existing expectations of you. I I use the analogy of my dad telling me, I don't care if you become a garbage collector, become the best garbage collector you can. Step three was a catalyst. It's an awareness of either something is missing or something you aspire to get to or gain. Uh, In essence, you realize there's a a better version of you, if not the best version of you just waiting to happen, or you see people that are less competent, less capable of you doing the jobs you want, reaching the milestones you're after. And for whatever reason, something is holding you back to kind of get there. So that catalyst becomes a spark. Step four is really immersive inquiry, which is you do a, a, a you fan that spark by doing a, a deeper dive into what could be possible what's the potential, what's probable, and what's the path to kind of get there. Um, And I talked a lot about the key steps in that immersive inquiry. In the last episode, I talked about strategic relationships, which is really nurturing your existing relationships and creating new connections to address what you may not know, 
what you may not know you don't know. I'm, I'm never afraid of what I don't know. I'm always afraid of what I don't know I don't know. So that DK DK is often a two by four coming in my head with a rusted nail in it. And I want to, I want to, you know, cover, you can't cover every potential risk or every angle or, or there's not enough time for us to make all the mistakes and learn from all those ourselves. So how do we leverage, never use, but how do we leverage relationships to gain insights, to, to better understand an ecosystem, to better understand a geography? And again, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the last episode. I talked about whether you aspire for a new role or a better role or a different role, or you want to change industries, or you want to go buy a franchise, or you want to launch a business or whatever it is, whatever you aspire to get to, there are already people who know that geography, industry, job much better than you do. They've been in that ecosystem for, for decades. The challenge isn't for you to figure out all the answers. It's figure out who those individuals are. And I always talk about connecting the dots between the relationships you have and the ones you need to accelerate your learning, growth, traction, uh, hopefully avoid some of the pitfalls you're headed for because of where they've been, what they've done. So in this episode, in this session, I really want to talk about agile execution because I continue to meet a lot of people with, and God bless them, dreams and hopes and aspirations. And I want to, you can fill in the blank. I'm a sales rep today. I want to become a sales manager. I'm a sales manager. I want to become a sales VP. I'm a sales VP. I want to become a better sales VP. I want to become a CRO. I'm a CRO. I want to become a COO or CEO. I'm a CEO. I want to exit or I want to go run a bigger PL or I want to join boards. I'm a board member. I want to become more active investor. I'm an investor. I want to invest in you know, earlier or later stage deals. Every one of these things are an aspiration, a hope, a dream, some vision of a better future condition. And particularly those in the spring, maybe summer of their careers, fall and winter figure this out, mostly. But those that are in the spring and summer of their careers often neglect to bridge those dreams, those aspirations, those hopes with a prioritized set of pursuits, a situational awareness, a path with cadence to execute. So I can take any of those scenarios. I, I want to get promoted. I want to leave my business and industry altogether and go do something else. I want to start something. I want to join a board. Any of those. I focus on three things, three critical areas that I want to really emphasize in this section. Number one, clarity of intent. And again, if you have the book, you want to follow along. I'm on page 103. Clarity of intent, committed bandwidth, and agile slash iterative process. So let me break each of those down. A, there's a critical building block path to meeting curve benders. And agile execution is very much this relentless focus, this relentless and almost like purpose-driven approach to that desired outcome. 
in many ways, it becomes your guardrail not to get distracted. Oh, squirrel, right? The next shiny object. And stay the course with resolve, with resolve to continue to learn, to continue to grow and prove, disprove your hypotheses, your assumptions, your assertions. That's in essence what agile execution is all about. I have a vision. I have a path. Let's go grocery store list approach to them. Knock things off. So clarity of intent. Let me let me start there. Some of you know I'm an Eagle Scout. And one of the things you learn in scouting, particularly as you get older, are uh, if you think of the, the, the rifle or shooting mare badge, is 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 how to handle safely firearms and whether it's archery or or with with uh you know guns the idea of of uh citing your scope so you have you have a scope you have a target and uh, if you think about it, and this is on a this is in a political statement this is not specific to, you know the guns but the scope itself. I've also seen these on golf range scopes. There are two knobs. One is on the top, one is on the side. The top one moves the scope up and down. The side one moves it left to right. And the technique is you not only clear that target, but you take a shot to see where it lands. And based on that data point, you make course correction. You cannot hit that target. You cannot hit any target in work or life without that clarity of that intent, without that crystal clear target of where I'm going and how I'm going to get there, number one. So you've got to be able to see it. You've got to see yourself as VP of sales or the CRO or the CEO. You've got to see yourself in running that franchise. You have to have the both the mental capacity, but also that clarity of I, I envision. I Again, I, I'm launching a business. I can see it today. I, I don't know where. I don't know when. I know there's a whole lot of steps between here and there. But I can see it as crystal clear as if I was walking into this facility tomorrow of what this club, what this location, what this experience is going to look like. Um, years ago, I, I I swam competitively, and and the coaches always taught us: before you get on that starting block, see yourself, see your start, see your strokes, see you touching the wall, and 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 kind of making your turn, see the sprint home, just visualize it, see it. Um, I ride motorcycles, and now with my kids, and we ride around a track. Again, visualize the turns and, you know, the body position and where the bike should be. So that visualizing your path through that course and each of the turns and where's my turning point, where's my apex, where's my exit, where do I roll on the throttle? How much am I rolling on the throttle? Visualizing that path dramatically improves your comfort when you in fact get on the bike and go around, when you get on that starting block, when you are on your way to building that business, when you want to go 
interview, build a 30, 60, 90 day plan for that next role. So that clarity of intent is all about tightly defining. And the reason I brought up scouts and shooting is if you narrow your target, if you aim small, you'll have a much better chance than if you look at a broader, the entire target. I'm looking at the bullseye. I'm looking at a very specific facet of the bullseye, right? I'm, I'm controlling my breathing and my posture, right? So these are all attributes to help you with that clarity of intent. What is your intent? What is that focused effort look like? And your ability to articulate that, your ability to really focus in and on, here's where I'm going, here's my purpose, I know my why, here's what it looks like, here's what the experience. By the way, don't I don't I don't store all this. Many of us can't do that. Get it on paper. Get it on paper, right? I, I did this with one of my business partners. Here's I want, you know, what I want this digital platform to do. Here's the the, the business functionality. Here's the user interface, the user experience I'm after. Capture it and start to break it down. Here's we're launching this new service. I broke it down to 12 things that I'm thinking about. Here's what it's going to take to succeed in that position. What are the determining factors? What are the contributors? That level of granularity, I've always said, specificity conveys credibility. And the reason that I really want that clarity of intent for you is for you to check yourself. Am I as clear on where I'm going and how I want to get there? That does not mean rigidity and your inability to pivot or maneuver or course correct. It just means if you don't have a crystal clear vision of where we're going, how we're going to get there, any path will get you there. And you're going to be in many ways rudderless, right? I, let me go this way. No, no, no. Let me go this way. Conversely, if I'm crystal clear on that target, if I'm crystal clear on if I can see that track, if I can see that race, if I can see that position, if I can see that success of that project, and the way we got there, all of those, call it visioning if you want, call it outcome if you want, whatever that end result is, you've got to be crystal clear on what that looks like, what that feels like, and what is it going to take. Start breaking it down of what is it going to take to get there. When you do that, you exponentially increase your ability to prioritize, to focus, you understand the time, effort, resources it is going to take to get there. Full disclosure, I'm impatient. I, I want to get this thing done next week. So, so, so uh, luckily for me, I'm surrounded by some brilliant women in my life, right? Uh, David is saying shared vision. Absolutely. So I was going to say, luckily for me, I'm surrounded by some brilliant women in my life. You know, Jan and Elaine and my wife, Wendy, and and what they do brilliantly well, and 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 the men audience will really uh, can understand this. They kind of keep me humble, right? You want to do what by when? Are you out of your mind? I think that's too soon, or there's no way, or there's 175 things you want to get done by next Tuesday. There's no way, right? So when I create this clarity of intent, when I break down the key steps. 
it recalibrates. You know what? It's already August and the September launch is really ambitious. Doesn't mean I'm still not going to go after it. But realistically, it's just going to take us a little bit more time. It's going to take time to figure out all the moving parts. And as much as I want, Jen can't manufacture or code or build that technology overnight. And Elaine can't figure out the, the best experience we can build. And we need these partners. And we need, right, I don't have to do it all myself. I can work with these other people to get that piece done. So clarity of intent really lays out a certain level of situational awareness. Where am I today? What does that future state look like? How do I break this into more manageable, more bite-sized pieces? What can I do? What's within absolutely my control? What do I need other people, including my relationships, to help me do? That, in many ways, to me, is situational awareness. What is happening in my surroundings? What will it take? What's going on in the ecosystem? What is it going to take to get us from now to next? What is it going to take for me to go from being a great sales manager to a VP of sales or CRO? What is it going to take for me to go become a fantastic board member and carry some of my operating experience as a manager, as a leader? But my job on that board is not to do. It's to be a steward and a guide and ask more questions than provide answers and really let the management team do what they do. Or if I'm going to leave my corporate job and go run a franchise, I no longer have the brand awareness, right? You don't have to tell anybody IBM or Amazon who or, you know, Siemens who. But if I go start a franchise, I have little to no brand awareness. I have no visibility in that community, in that market. And I've never ran a small business. I've always ran a big division or business unit or a whole bunch of teams. How do I go hire 20 and 30-year-olds to kind of help me run that business? So that clarity of intent, I cannot emphasize that. And again, David called it a shared vision, crystal clear. Clarity of that intent is citing that scope. It's visualizing that track. It's visualizing that race. It's seeing you in that VP position. It's seeing you running that franchise or making that project successful. The clarity of that intent is the starting point. And I would encourage you, jump in. Questions, comments, anything that I share. If it doesn't pass the smell test, I'm, I'm encouraging you to jump in. If you listen to this recording afterwards, you can always reach me through LinkedIn or certainly in our podcast um, you can also email, get in touch, uh, or come join us. By the way, a good time to share. Um, I'm very active in our uh, North Forum community. If you're not a member, it's, it doesn't cost anything. Norgroup.com slash forum. Come join us. I'm there every day. Ask questions, post questions. I'm happy to defend my position, not just regurgitate it. Right. So clarity of intent in this agile execution, critical. The second area I mentioned this to you is committed bandwidth. I, I don't know about you, but I have a lot on my plate. And um, I actually like being busy. I, I, I feel more productive when I have a lot going on. It forces me to prioritize the things I have to do and, and at some point address the things I want to do. So 
in a any kind of an aspiration, you have to commit the bandwidth to invest the time, effort, resources, and relationships to check things off. And really important to, to think about your calendar, think about prioritizing demands on your time, on your effort, on your attention, on your resources. And what I really want you to think about is the trade-off. So if I'm focused on the next job, am I trading off something I should be doing in my current job? If I'm focused on that franchise business, am I somehow neglecting my responsibilities and being the best version of that I can in my current business? If I want to take on a new initiative or if I want to volunteer for a leadership program or some sort of a community or civic cause, as worthy as that may be, am I going to sacrifice time with my family and my kids? So the trade-off part is something that a lot of people think about. And, and I want to remind you of a couple of things. One is 168. If you don't know what that is, it's the number of hours in a week. I've, I've been looking for 169 for several years. Haven't found it yet. 168 is the number of available hours we every one of us have in a week. And I have a mentor who's driven into me, Alan Weiss, that says, Real wealth is discretionary time. You can always make more money. You can never buy. I can't get more time. Out of the 168, presumably, you're going to have to sleep some of it. You're going to have to eat and spend time with family and some of it. So increasingly, the number of available hours for work is limited. And what I learned, again, I'm a big believer that we're all products of the advice we take. What I learned from an old manager years ago is everybody can work 80 hours a week. They're certainly capable of it. That's not the answer. The real golden nugget here is how can you work 40 really productive hours? And as I get, as I get older, actually, my aspiration is how can I work less and maintain the same lifestyle? How do I surround myself with amazing people that are very good at what they do and have them own that part of the business? How can I use automation? How can I delegate more? How can I automate more? How can I politely say no thanks to more things that are not within my set of priorities? But committing the bandwidth, time, effort, resources, attention, relationships to the most productive, the most relevant work, prioritizing. I'm coaching several people on prioritized pursuits. On any given day, most of us can do a whole lot of things. How do you prioritize your pursuits? And I have a technique for that. But committing the time, the bandwidth, the attention, the relationships, the resources, including capital, to your pursuits is something most people don't think about. I I, I capture it. Again, I, I doesn't help me in my head. So I get it down on paper. More recently, I get it in digital tools. 
What will it take to launch this service? What will it take to, um, uh, you know, love in some ways project planning? Love in some ways anticipating dependencies. Realistically, what can we get done this month? And what do we need? End in mind, work our way backwards, right? If I want to launch this initiative, if I want to launch this project, if I want this job in a year from now, let me work it backwards. What do I have to do over the next four quarters? Let me further break that down. What do I have to do over the next six months? What do I have to do each month? Let me break that down. What do I have to do the next several weeks? So you start to take these big milestones and break them down into key metrics to kind of help you get there, key dependencies to help you get there. I need a phone number, a website, address, to launch this and go fill out a whole bunch of applications to partner with other people, right? And that's how we get that e-commerce business off the ground. I need these 12 things to get that service off the ground. I need to really shore up my financial acumen, my digital acumen to become a more astute, Maybe a private company board member. Um, I'm active in the National Association of Corporate Directors, NACD. Um, one of the most valuable development opportunities was to go through their director's professionalism program. And you earn something called a governance fellow. And they basically teach you how to become a, a better board member. Now, nothing replaces with you actually serving on several boards. Just like nothing will help you more than having a CRO coach and mentor and develop you to become his or her replacement, right? But that gives you some glimpse into this idea of the bandwidth it's required. And again, I want you to think about specifically these five areas, time, effort, attention, relationships, resources. Let me say it again, time. Can you block off? I don't know about you. If I don't block it on my calendar, it doesn't happen. So I, during the day, I've got a full-time job. I've got clients. I've got relationships. I nurture those. After hours and weekends is my side hustle. But I've got to block off time to work on these things. I'm up early. I stay up later. TV and Netflix and these others, they're just not doing a whole lot for me. My local sports team, right? I'm a fan. But spending four hours on a Sunday to watch a football game is just asinine to me because that doesn't do anything for me. Conversely, reading, working on something, developing a plan, getting ready for Monday, that's a much better use of productive work. So my time, effort. Um, I saw a, um, full disclosure, I, I don't have a lot of respect for Hollywood. I just haven't seen a lot of things that I admire come out of that, that ecosystem. But I did see an um, interview with Matthew McConaughey. And he was talking about um, either he was in law school in Texas or was headed to law school. And he called his parents and he had a friend at NYU that was in film school. And he literally told his dad that he was going to leave law school and go to film school. And there was this, he, talk, he tells the story of there was this awkward silence on the phone. And his dad's next statement was, don't half-ass it. And I love that. And it so resonated with me of if you believe in something, if you are, are driven, if there's a purpose in you to go get something, to go achieve something, don't half-ass it. So the effort that I'm talking about is are you giving it 
the best version of you. That next promotion, the board opportunity, that next major initiative or project, starting a franchise, starting another business. Do you give it your best on a consistent basis and not half-ass it? Not, well, I mean, just good enough. I cringe when I hear good enough because it means it wasn't the best version of what we could have done. So time, big one, effort, attention. Does it have your attention? Does it, I, I'm, I'm sleeping less at nights, not because of worries, but because I'm excited. And I'm, I've got a little notebook next to my table, that side table. This might be in the TMI department, but I capture ideas. Like I, I literally, I think of something before I go to bed or I get up in the morning and I just remember something or I'm cleaning up and I remember something and I just come and capture it. I want to do this. I want to pursue this. What about this? That person, here's that thing. I, so does it have your attention? Relationships. We talked about in the last episode. With each major milestone, with even down to tactical things, I'm often thinking about what needs to get done as well as what relationships do I have or do I need that can accelerate my journey? In a previous episode, I would encourage you to go back and watch it or listen to it. I interviewed a longtime friend and a former client, Craig LaMasters. And he's written a book called Unstuck. He's CEO of a company called GXG. And what they do is they apply, learn from wisdom of others to solve problems, really complex problems. Somebody else who's done it is going to have a much better chance of addressing, solving that problem. So next to particularly things I don't know or I haven't done or I may not understand as well, I have names of several people. I want to go to Garrett for this. I want to go to Joe for that. I want to talk to Tim about that. I need to, I really need Jen for this. Elaine does that. Let me go talk. So I write names of individuals. In my network, ideally, relationships are between individuals. If I don't know an individual, I'm describing it. I need to go find a mechanic who can do this. I've got to go find a doctor, a doctor who does this. Ooh, Nikhil. As a practicing physician left to now lead a medical device company, I wonder how he's doing that. Sachin, right? General counsel, now business leader, tech startup. I wonder how he's thinking about this. So I start to make a list of my existing relationships and or people I need who understand that piece of the business, who know how to address that. Oh, I got to talk to Ron about this. Kathy knows that. So relationships is critical in my committed bandwidth. Last but not least is resources. Capital. What is it going to take? How do we test it? How do we get the minimal number? How do I, you remember I told you in citing your scope, you take a shot. So I'm looking at the target. I take a shot. And you know what? It's off center to the left and down. That tells me if I want, if I want to repeat that process and actually get it on target, I need to move my scope up and over to the right. So whenever I'm thinking of resources, I'm a huge believer of, and we'll talk more about this in the next, in the next part of this that I want to share with you, an iterative process. Those who know me have heard me say version one is better than version none. So I want to take that first shot. I want to try that. I want to place that first order. I want to go spend some time with that franchise. I want to go spend time with, get to know, I want to interview other CROs. 
I want to talk to other board members. I want to talk to other people who've done this project. I want to have that initial, that's that immersive inquiry is my first shot. And then I'm kind of changing the scope and I'm taking the next shot. Ooh, I'm now closer. So I've fixed the up, but I haven't come over enough. Again, in the startup world, they've got the minimal viable product. More recently, spending a lot of time and thinking a lot about product market fit. A lot of people think about scale. I want to build a franchise and open five locations. Great. Is there any interest in what that franchise does? I want to become the CRO and lead a global. Is there a global market for your product? So we don't do enough of that due diligence up front, the siting of the scope early on in the iterative process to ensure not just a vision, but the path to get there is the best path. By the way, around the motorcycle track, we all, those who ride understand this, and not just the track, but anywhere you ride, there's a line. It's the most efficient path through corners around that track, right? And, and your line effectively, efficiently sets you up from one corner to the next. There's certain things to understand about the line. Everybody says, find your line, get on that line, right? And you make course corrections. If I'm offline, I'm, I'm, I've got levers and input to get back on that line. Same way. If I have clarity of intent, if I've got this clarity of vision, if I have a path to get there with my committed bandwidth, if I make, if I see, if I understand things that I need to pivot and course correct, it gets me back on the right track to get there, the most efficient, effective path to get there. So if you've just joined us, we're talking about seven steps to meeting potential curve benders, these incredible relationships that can profoundly change your life, change your direction, your destination. And I've identified seven steps. We're in step number six, agile execution. And within agile execution, and if you have the Curve Benders book, uh, it starts on page 103. I'm talking about clarity of intent. Be crystal clear on the outcome you're after and what it takes to get there. Second point was committed bandwidth, committing five things, the time, the effort, the attention, the relationships, the resources. The last part of this is about agile and iterative processes. And you've heard the old expression, uh, fail fast. Well, ideally, you also fail forward. And every CFO I know always will always ask you to please fail cheap. <laughs> so you don't want to go spend 10000 or $10 million to figure out we went down the wrong path, right? If I can spend less. By the way, I'm willing to spend... 10,000 or 10 million, if the return on that is 10x, because I believe in this idea of iteration and, and experimentation. So the critical key to this agile execution is actually accelerated learning and the application of that learning to make immediate course correction. Let me say that again. The key to agile execution is accelerated learning. How do we learn faster? More importantly, how do we apply that learning to course correct faster? So a couple analogies for you. A, a shuttle launch, a rocket launch. One degree off at launch becomes miles apart 
when you get into atmosphere. Think about it. One degree off launch becomes miles apart when you get to upper atmosphere. Similarly, riding a motorcycle, if, if I'm off the line just a little bit going into this corner, it is way off in the next corner if I don't course correct. If I wrongly either choose the wrong franchise concept or put it in the wrong location, that's a pretty expensive mistake. This initiative, we go down the wrong rabbit hole. We try to solve for the wrong problem. becomes a really expensive six, nine, 12 months down the road. Change management initiatives. I've, I used to have more hair. And the ones that are gray, I, I didn't paint on, right? Painful observations, if not immersions in these things, have caused this. We go after these massive change management initiatives, and you're solving the wrong problem. It's not the tool or the adoption of that tool. It's the workforce. It's the culture. It's the initiative fatigue that every other day we're trying some new tool or new process. Or Listen, I'm a, by definition, we're creatures of comfort. I, I like to know what this box looks like that I live in every day. Most people are that way. And you're turning my box upside down. So agile and an iterative process is all about this idea of with the best information I have, I'm going to take the next three steps. I'm going to collect data. I'm going to evaluate how did the first three go? Were they in fact in line with my hypotheses? This is where that scientific thinking really comes in handy. Here are the assumptions I'm making. Here are the critical assumptions that I'm making about this path, about this journey, about the next 10 steps. I'm going to start with steps one through three. I'm going to test this idea. I'm going to collect that data. I'm going to see how it goes. I'm going to reevaluate. Am I on the right track? Am I on the right path? Am I on the right line? Have I scoped that, cited that scope enough? Then I'll take the next three steps and I'll reevaluate, get the data, make course grade. This iterative process, by the way, you know, I often coach this. If you're not willing to kill 999 flowers so you can grow one oak tree, you have no business experimenting or testing or doing a bunch of other stuff because you don't, you become emotionally often attached to that idea to that property, to that job, to that project, to that promotion, to that board role. That's the worst thing you can do because it skews your logical evaluation. We evaluate logically. We make decisions often emotionally. So if you get emotionally attached, it, it skews, it, it alters. It's amazing what we'll talk ourselves into. Your logical evaluation of what's going on. So your ability to recognize, you know, take those steps, recognize errors, setbacks, missteps quickly and, and with resolve in a speedy manner, make that course correction. Sets you apart from everybody else that's either too stubborn or too stupid or too 
whatever, to just kind of try to move that wall. I'm going to keep pushing against that wall. Guess what? That wall is not moving. So instead of thinking, how do I go around it, over it, under it, find a different entrance, I'm going to just keep pushing against that wall. My question is often, how's that working out for you? And I, and I try to surround myself with people that are going to keep me humble. You may want to rethink that. You may want to reapproach that. You may want to, that might be, that, that's one way to go. It might have been a better way to go. Right? So your ability to learn and make that course correction keeps you relevant, keeps you in the game, keeps you on track, keeps you focused on that outcome. And this iterative process, if you want to learn more, look into the lean startup movement where I'm constantly learning and growing. But I need you to think of iteration. How do we do the same thing better? Because that iteration often leads to innovation, which is how do we do new things? And in my experience, do enough new things and you're going to create disruption, which is how do we do new things that makes the old way obsolete? So in your agile execution, it's really a culmination of the previous five steps. You've got a really strong personal foundation. You've got a commitment to be the best version of you. You've had a catalyst, that spark that says, I want to go do bigger, more. You've got, you've done the immersive inquiry where you've really dove into kind of what I need to know. You've connected with your existing relationships and learned what I need to do, who I need to talk to. You've got this game plan now in place. Agile execution is now get in the arena. Roll up your sleeves, put your big boy pants on or big girl pants on and, and get after it. And you're going to get some bumps and bruises and ouch, that, that didn't go well. Or you know what? Oh, we lost that money or time or it's part of the growth. For those that don't ride motorcycles, I often tell them falling, which is frightening to most people, falling off the bike is not a matter of if, it's when. And it's part of the learning and growth. I've, I've fallen off the bike several times. Guess what? Each time I know what I, typically user error, what I did wrong. What I learned from it. What I'm not going to do next time. I'm going to go to more training. I'm going to give myself more distance with that car. I'm going to learn more about how to control the bike at different speeds and conditions. And Right? So if you're not willing to fail and learn from that, and again, you're going to have a really hard time getting to that aspiration. If it was easy, more people would do it. You know that. But there's only so many CRO jo jobs. There's only so many board seats. There's only so many really successful franchises. There's only so many incredible initiatives that Leaders have led to transform their businesses. What I'm, what I'm fascinated by, and I, and I read all kinds of articles, and we're so mesmerized by disruption and transformation, and we throw them around like it's undergarments. And yet most people don't realize what it takes to become a world-class leader and truly transform a business or change your own destination or leverage your relationships to get to where you're trying to get to. So agile execution is about that clarity of intent. 
It's about the committed bandwidth. It's about this agile iterative process to start executing the key steps in that journey, in your personal and professional growth journey, in your bridging of your aspirations, your dreams, your hopes with where you are today and what are you trying to get to. And if this session has been useful to you, come back to the next one because we're going to talk about connection cadence, the final step. Connection cadence, the final step in seven steps to meeting curve vendors. Because it's critical to not just initiate these relationship conversations, but as you execute, earn your return ticket, get your return ticket punch to come back to these relationships, update them on your progress, continuously get their vested interest in your success. That's the real goal. How do you develop a vested interest in your success in others? So they'll go beyond any obligatory, I'll take that call, I'll have that conversation to actually wanting, if not cheering, for you to succeed. That's what Connection Cadence is about. Step seven, again, this is chapter three of the Curve Benders book. That's our next session. We'll talk about that. And uh, after that, I've got several great guests lined up. I'm here every Tuesday at noon Eastern. I hope you'll join me. I'd love for you to come join you know, jump in with your questions, your comments. Come join us in the North Forum community. I'll I'll put the the uh, the site in the uh, in the uh, comments. It's just northgroup.com/forum is our community. Come join us. Come be a part of the conversation. Uh, come, I'm there every day. You're welcome to come, ask questions, share your comments. There's roughly about 2,500 like-minded professionals there. We talk about business relationships. We talk about real innovation. We talk about lasting change. We're talking about revenue operations. We talk about project management. So it's a great, great community. A lot of great clients, friends, people have read my stuff, people that have heard me speak. Come join us there and we can continue the conversation. On behalf of our team, thanks for joining us. Hope this has been of value to you. And please reach out if there's anything I can do to support your efforts. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. All the best. Bye-bye.